Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. We're in Genesis this morning. You can turn your Bibles to chapter 25, and by God's grace, we'll see if we can't finish up. In this section of the Bible, we started out back in chapter 11, verse 27, with what is known in the Hebrew as toledot. We often have it translated as generations or genealogies. Probably the best way to think of it is what follows after. So 1127 began the Toledot, what follows after Terah. Now, if you remember from that, and you probably don't, Terah was Abraham's father. So Abraham is what followed after Terah. And we've been studying the life of Abraham. That'll wrap up today as we finish out chapter 25. And actually, we'll run into a couple more of these generations or Toledotes as we go through this. But I, I just want to kind of take a second to look back on some of the things that we've seen, especially just lately. We've been looking in the Toledot of Terah, what follows after Abraham, and we know then Isaac. We've been following Isaac and the story of Isaac. He's part of that legacy. That's what Abraham generated, his generations, Isaac. And we've seen Isaac as a type of Christ. We've seen uh, that both Isaac and Jesus' births were prophesied by God. Um, Isaac, 25 years before he was born. Jesus, 700 years before he was born. Um, and uh, we also see that the birth announcements were given by angels. Uh, and their mothers were both incredulous, had a hard time <laughs> receiving the news. I'm going to have a baby. I, I'm not, well... And, uh, you know, what, what's the deal with the last times? And do you think, do you think it, it could, do you think Jesus might be coming back? Maybe any minute. You know, J.D. Farag, he had a cute thing. I was watching him. He talks uh, of prophecy. I highly encourage you to look at um, jdfarag.org jdfarag.org, and each week he comes out with a prophecy update, taking issues in the news and helping you see them as they've already been told in the Bible. And I was watching uh, this last week, I think it was a previous article, but he talks about he often likes to go and walk up to an intersection, you know, where you have to push the button and wait for the little crossing sign to go, and while he's standing there waiting, waiting with a lot of people, he just walks up and he stands there and he he starts doing that. Guess what happens? Pretty soon, everybody in the crowd is like, and eventually somebody's got to say, what are you looking for? And that's his opening. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I expect him back anytime now. It's a wonderful evangelism tool. Try it this week. <laughs> it's fun, right? Well, God is clearly telling us about his plan for his son and his bride 
and the purpose and all that he's done from day one in the beginning God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created the heavens and the earth, set us into uh, this his story as we see it, his story about his son and the redemption of his creation. And so we follow on through. Chapter 25, verse 1, we pick up. And Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimram, Joktan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Letshuim, and Lemimim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abedah, and Eldaah. All these are the children of Keturah. So we get this list of kids that Abraham had after his wife Sarah died, right? And it's kind of interesting in all of this. It's setting forth uh, a, a list of names that to us are not only hard to pronounce, but kind of a bit of a riddle or an enigma. What is, who even cares about those names? I mean, really, you know, you don't seem to see too much of them in the rest of the Bible, but let me show you a couple things that are fun in this, okay? Um, it says, and she, verse 2, bore him Zimram, Joktan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Midian actually plays a pretty prominent role, at least the genealogy, the generations, what follows after Midian, this son of Abraham and Keturah, plays big roles in the scripture. In fact, if you were, you don't have to follow me, I'm just jump you through to kind of give you a little idea of what's going on here. But when we get into Exodus chapter 2, in Exodus chapter 2, we see that um, Abraham runs away from uh, the Egypt, I'm not Abraham, Moses runs away from the Egyptians and finds himself out in the backside of the desert. And in verse 18, he came to Ruel, their father who owned this well where they were watering the sheep. Um, and he meets this, this high priest of Midian. It's interesting. He's a descendant of Midian. His name's Ruel. And the name Ruel means a friend of God. Let me connect a dot for you just a minute here. There's going to be more dots before I'm done. This is how prophecy works. You follow the breadcrumbs, right? And it takes you to Jesus. Here we see Midian in verse verse 2 of chapter 25. Now we see the descendant of Midian, Ruel. His name literally means friend of God. And we're going to find out in chapter 3, verse 1 of Exodus, that he is a priest of God, a priest of Yahweh. So put two and two together. We're following this line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way through to Jesus Christ. But then here are other kids, and there are others that come through Abraham and Keturah that do follow and worship God, Yahweh. In fact, even the Midianites out there in the middle of the desert. And it's interesting, in chapter 18, then, uh, uh, we see that Jethro, this is Ruel's name, Jethro and Ruel, same name, is the high priest of Midian, and he offers up sacrifices and gives thanksgiving to Yahweh God, okay? No doubt about it. And then as we move on through in the book of Numbers, uh, in chapter 10, we see his son, Hobab. Now, Hobab um, is the person who then Moses says, why don't you come with us into the promised land? 
right? So are you following along? Here, Abraham and Keturah have a kid. His name's Midian. Midian, down the line, they have a kid whose name is Jethro. Jethro is the priest who Moses runs into. Then as Moses and the nation of Israel is getting ready to leave Egypt and go up into the promised land, he invites the son, the descendant of Midian, to go with him. And then you start following through the book of, Je- uh, the, book of the Bible, the Old Testament, into the book of uh, Judges, and you find out in Judges chapter 4, there's this story of Deborah and uh, Barak and this bad king, Sisak, who's trying to wipe out the um, Israelites. And they go to battle, Deborah being a woman, a warrior, a leader, a statesman, uh, does this. But in all of the battle, this bad guy, Sisak, who's trying to destroy Israel, runs away and he finds himself alone and he crosses paths with Jael who is a descendant of Midian, Jethro, Hobab, on down the line, and she invites him into a tent, gives him a drink of milk, he gets all warm and comfy, falls asleep, and she wipes him out, takes him out, puts a tent peg through his head, okay? (laughs) Pastor, why are you telling me this? Because it's fun when you take little bits and pieces of what God is doing. He's laying down breadcrumbs to bring you through the Bible, to bring you through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Moses, um, David, you know, Daniel and uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the way up to Jesus Christ. All of these little breadcrumbs go together. I've had some people concerned lately about, uh, why don't you preach more on end times prophecy, pastor. Well, I do. We're doing it right now. I'm doing it in the book of Genesis. Now, I know when most people ask about end times prophecy, they're wondering about the last days. It's a little study that they teach you in Bible college. They call it eschatology. Those things that are supposed to happen at the end, when Jesus returns, stuff like, you know, the rapture and the tribulation and the millennial kingdom and stuff like that. And a lot of times that's what they're expecting you to talk about when you talk about prophecy. But prophecy simply is speaking forth the word of God and God in predictive prophecy will tell you the end from the beginning. I, I can tell you what's going to happen from the very start. He's God. He knows. We are in the book of beginnings. This is the beginning, and this is the part of the prophecy I'm sharing with you, and these threads are going to take us on up to Jesus Christ. Are you with me? I I, kind of threw that out there because, you know, even as Calvary chapels, we're kind of known as those uh, pre-trib, rapture, uh, anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ uh, after the tribulation. We're looking up. Our redemption draws nice. We're those kinds of people. But we've chosen to go through the book of Genesis, so I'm showing you Jesus in Genesis, right, as we go on through here. So, um, I was in (laughs) Genesis chapter 25, I got to verse 3 or 4, if we don't go faster, we're never going to finish 25, but here's another one for you, and you know, you're probably thinking, oy vey, you either are like relishing every word I'm saying, you're like, oh, finally he's talking about prophecy, or you're like, could he just get on with the story? Okay, verse 3, okay, and Jokshan, okay, this is one of the children of Abraham and Keturah, begot, okay, follows after, generated, Sheba and Dedan. You say, Sheba and Dedan, what's that all about? Well, 
Very, very interesting. I'm going to jump you over to Ezekiel chapter 38. Many people who study prophecy and are familiar with last days prophecy look at Ezekiel chapter 38 as a description of a great battle that's going to happen at the last days. And it lays out all the players in this battle. And I'll just kind of do a, a kind of a general overview but it talks about, and maybe you've heard of this, it says, verse 38, 1, or chapter 38, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog. Anybody know Gog? Met Gog? Seen Gog? Okay. <laughs> of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, and prophesy against him. Okay. He says in verse 4, I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your armies, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clad, and you're going to bring along with you some other people in verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, down in verse 6, Gomer and Tagara, and you're going to prepare yourself, and you're going to attack Jerusalem. God is actually going to bring all of these nations, a confederacy of nations, seven nations against Israel in the last days. And we look at these nations, and Gog, Megog, Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal are descriptions of uh, tribes that were to the north of Israel. In the area of Russia today, in the area of uh, the Balkan states, in fact, it talks about Libya on the north coast of Africa, Ethiopian in the heart of Africa, Persia, which is modern-day Iran, um, Gomer, which are the Balkan states like Romania and Albania, just to the east of the Soviet, or the part of the old Soviet Union, Tagarma, which is uh, today Turkey, We've got all these nations that are going to surround Israel and attack, attack Israel in the last days, okay? And they're spoken of. Interesting, we get to verse 13, and this is a very provocative verse in chapter 38 of this last day's war, and we see verse 13, Sheba and Dedan. Where have I heard of them before? Oh, that's right. That's what we're supposed to be talking about this morning. These children that come down the line of Abraham and Keturah, Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock goods, and take great plunder? Now, I say all of that because if you look at Sheba and Dedan and how they play out, these are the tribes or the nations today of the modern-day Ara Arabian Peninsula. And so Sheba and Dedan are the Saudi Arabians, the Yemeni, the uh, Kuwaitis, Bahrain, all of these nations. And what's very interesting is that all these nations, God has grabbed all of the other nations to come against Israel in this last day's battle, except these guys are standing on the sideline. And it's really bizarre that Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates or Bahrain or these people would not be attacking, but they would st be standing off in judgment. They wouldn't be engaging, but they'd be calling out all these other people and saying, what are you doing trying to come and take their stuff? And it's just kind of a, a, a very interesting turn of events because basically Sheba and Dedan, the Saudi Arabians and the Yemenis and all these different people have been enemies of Israel, the people of God, for 4,000 years until last year. And 
we started hearing about something called the Abraham Accords. Anybody hear that in the news? And you know who are the signatories who have joined the Abraham Accords, who are now actually establishing embassies in one another's nation? They're flying dignities back and forth, and they're talking. United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, which is on the northern coast of Africa in the Libya area. And even this last week, Saudi Arabia came out. And Saudi Arabia has been a mortal enemy of Israel for all this many years. But the crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salem, came out and said Israel is a potential ally. In it, as he was uh, talking, he says, For us, we hope that the conflict between the Israelis and Palestinians is solved, the prince told American magazine The Atlantic, according to his transcript uh, issued by the official Saudi press agency. We don't look at Israel as an enemy. This is news. This is breaking news. This is March 4th, 2022, Friday before last. We don't look at Israel as an enemy, but we look at them as a potential ally with many interests that we can pursue together. And uh, they go on to say Saudi Arabia does not have diplomatic relations with Israel, um, but we hope that they might blossom within the shadows of the Abraham Accords. As normalization agreements Israel is signing are starting to proliferate throughout the Middle East with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, Morocco, and uh, now Saudi Arabia is regularly allowing Israel to cross its airspace. Why do I say all that? And did you come to church to hear that this morning? You do understand we're living in a real world, <laughs> and these are real issues, and these are real people, and these are real nations, and this is the history of the world. This is His story of the world coming to pass before our very eyes as we speak, even within day-to-day -day activities, and it's quite mind-boggling when you look and see all of these things coming to pass. So anyways, there we are back in this weird old thing where old Abraham, now <laughs> I shouldn't call him old Abraham, but all of us, anyone in the room can call him old. At this point in verse, in chapter 25, when he marries Keturah, he's 138 years old, okay? He's going to live till he's 175 years old, um, so he's got 37 years in him yet to go, and he has he genders, he engenders, he creates, following after him will be all of these tribes, including all these Saudi Arabian states that have been mortal enemies for 4,000 years, but in the last year, they're starting to play nice and lining up with what looks like Ezekiel chapter 38. Interesting, as we look at that, it says that God is going to put a hook in the mouth of these nations to the north. Russia and Turkey and, and, and these folks, and you think, what would draw them down? And remember, the, the merchants of Tarshish, that's like actually Europe, and these Saudi Arabians are going, what are you coming, to plunder his goods? And one of the things that, if you're paying attention in the news, Israel has discovered and is beginning to tap and exploit massive natural gas reserves on the Mediterranean coast, coast within their area of influence. What do you think 
Russia, Gog and Magog, would want with Israel's natural gas. Hello? Have you been reading the news lately? Now, please, 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 this is speculative. I don't know. But when you read things in the scripture and then you look at the news and you see things lining up, it starts to take your breath away. Hopefully I can build on this case a little bit more before I'm done, but let's, let's get done so I can do that. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, okay? Isaac, the chosen one, the promised child, the seed through whom the world would be blessed, the nations would be blessed. He gave all that he had. He gave his inheritance. Isaac was the predominant son. He was the one to receive the inheritance. And that inheritance that Abraham gave to Isaac included the promised land, the promised nation, and the promised seed that would redeem the world, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. All of these Abraham bequeathed to Isaac. Then it says in verse 6, But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, and while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac his son to the country of the east. So in order that there wouldn't be any conflict, just like with Sarah's handmaid Hagar and their son Ishmael, uh, there was problems, and they finally had to say, you need to leave home because you're just creating too much stress here, uh, too much havoc. Uh, Abraham sends these sons or these tribes, these nations away to the east, but he does give them gifts. It talks about concubines here, and just to just touch on that, because you're going to see that term pop up throughout the scriptures, a concubine is somebody that would bear children to a person, uh, but wouldn't be in a, uh, in a, a state of um, marriage, okay? No marriage had been performed. Just like we saw Hagar, the handmaid of Sarah, and they said we can have a child through her, and they ended up with Ishmael. It's something that was done uh, and has been done throughout human history quite often, sadly, I will say, but just being straight, um, through a great deal of human history, women were treated as property. And they were just there for, you know, bearing children, that kind of thing. And so these are concubines, but they don't have the same status as Sarah, the wife. Okay? But nevertheless, Abraham does give them gifts, doesn't treat them harshly. He does give them gifts, but they don't get the inheritance, and they're sent to the east. And what's interesting here is this promise is a, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Did you see that? Did you see the prophecy that just got fulfilled? Okay. People always want, Pastor, when are you going to start teaching prophecy? I am. Okay. If you remember back in chapter 12, verse 1, God told Abraham to leave the land, leave your family where you are from the earth of the Chaldees, go to a place which I'll show you. And when I get there, I will make you the father of many nations. Here they are, many nations. They were just described, and I've shown you how many of them are players in the world today. These are the many nations that was prophecy fulfilled. Okay, verse 7. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Whew. Amazing, you know, and, and we know we've studied previously in Genesis that when, uh, you know, God first created man, people were living 
many, many years. Methuselah, 966 years, right? People would live a long time. After men came off the ark, we start seeing that, that lifespan decrease to now, with Abraham, it's only 175 years, right? And yet, what's interesting is we kind of put this together once upon a time. I want to remind you of it before we move on down the scene, that Abraham would have been alive for over 30 years during the life of Shem, Noah's son, who came off the ark. Abraham was a contemporary of Shem. And as you go back up the tree, it only takes four generations to get to Adam and Eve. So basically, in what they would have been able to sit around the coffee table and talk about, you know, the good old days or what was it like in the garden and those kinds of things, you're talking grandchild, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, and you're back to the Garden of Eden with, Ad with Abraham, okay? Just to kind of put things in perspective. But here he is, 175 years. Um, and it says, And Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. I love this. This is God's summary of Abraham's life. He was a good old man, and he lived to a good old age. And, and what a blessing life is, and what a blessing it is, the things that God allows us to do in a life. And we're going to get an eulogy here for Abraham, a eulogy. You know, if you've ever been to a, a funeral or a, a memorial service, people will give a eulogy. Eulogy just comes from the um, Latin words to speak well of. Good words, say good words about the person. And this is Abraham's eulogy uh, as, as we see it here. Um, and it's kind of interesting, these good words, and we discuss Abraham's legacy. What can you say about Abraham? Well, he's one of the most important men in history, okay? Uh, all the monotheistic faiths look to him as uh, uh, one of the prophets, one of the people that uh, their faith derives from uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Legit or not legit, they look to Abraham, okay? Um, in fact, as far as being important, Abraham is mentioned 70 times in the New Testament. The only person uh, getting more mention out of the Old Testament is Moses for, at 80 times. So, Abraham is mentioned almost as many times as Moses in the New Testament. He's a very important person, and we know he is the father of many nations. That's what his name means, Abraham, father of nations. And uh, he's also, we know, the father of faith. We all look to him as looking at God, believing in God's promise, and God accounted it to Abraham for righteousness. He's the father of our faith. He's the father of the promises He's the one who took those promises that God made even back in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve that there would be a seed, there would be a Savior that would come through your life and into the world, and He is known as a friend of God. And uh, what a beautiful reputation that He have. Um, and then it talks about, it says in verse 9, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael, now Isaac would be 74, Ishmael is 90 years old at this point, they buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite. We read about this, and uh, Abraham purchased this land to bury his wife Sarah in, right? Verse 10, the field Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth, there Abraham was buried, and Sarah 
his wife. And it's interesting, as we go through the Bible, and especially into the New Testament, we hear about people who have gone on to be with the Lord are described as people who have been, they've gone on to Abraham's bosom, okay? They're at the heart of Abraham. They're with Abraham, their father, the one they followed, okay? Abraham buried Sarah, Abraham's buried there, and we're all going to be together. We're all gathering up together in Abraham's bosom. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 8, it talks about Abraham's bosom as being that gathering place for all the saints in the kingdom of heaven. And so this is a fair thing to say that they had gone on to Abraham's bosom. Now, we do also know that as Jesus came and was crucified and was buried, he went into Abraham's bosom and preached that gospel and brought all those saints that had waited all those many years for Jesus, their Messiah, to come. He took them out of Abraham's bosom where they're present with Jesus today. And for each and every one of us now that Christ has risen from the dead in victory over death, has no hold on us, as we die, we go instantly into the presence of the Lord. And we just await our loved ones along with Abraham, along with Sarah, uh, and all of these. So this is that story uh, kind of of Abraham's bosom. Um, and then I like what it says in Hebrews in chapter 11. This is commentary on the Old Testament. The New Testament is commenting on this story. In Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to pick up at verse 8 and just read on through. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You could say I'm standing here giving Abraham's obituary right now. This is Abraham's eulogy. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's why he lived in tents. He didn't build a city because he was waiting for God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. goes on to say in Hebrews, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. All of us who call upon Abraham as our father. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And then it goes on, and we're, you know, we're not going to get there today probably. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. This is the eulogy. This is the, the, the good words. This is the obituary for Abraham. He was a good man, father of faith, friend of God. 
Well, it says, and uh, he was buried with his wife, verse 11, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt at Be'er Lahai Roi. So, just very, very interesting in this, what God is doing uh, through Abraham and now Isaac. Basically, he came to pass, it came to pass, and I, and I think of that so much as passing the torch, passing the baton, passing the promises. Abraham lived a good life, a good old age, but he did probably the most important thing any parent can do, and he left the legacy of the promise of Jesus Christ to his kids. And here we see his kid, Isaac, and what is he doing? He's dwelling at Be'er Lahai Roi, which we've seen before. The name means the well. This is the place where Isaac now took up residence. I live at the well of the living one who sees me. And this is the testimony of Abraham's son. I'm dwelling by the spring. I'm dwelling by the fountain. I'm dwelling by the well of the living one who sees me. I have a relationship, a living, fresh, alive relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there any prayer that any of us could pray that we would pray any more passionately than that our children would walk on with Jesus? Isn't, I mean, if, when all is said and done, uh, you know, the land, the fortune, the cattle, the flocks, whatever it is, oh, I just pray they walk with Jesus. And Abraham, mission accomplished, succeeded in doing that. That is the end of Toledot number six. The, the, that which follows after Terah, Abraham, and Isaac. And now we're going to come to Toledot number seven. There are 11 of these stories, and all 11 of them together combined make up the book of Genesis. Now we get to chapter, or chapter 25, verse 12. I've already read this one to you. When we finished up in chapter 21, verse 21, when Abraham and Sarah kicked Hagar and Ishmael out, and sent them to the east where he would dwell as a wild man amongst his brethren. I jumped over and I just kind of finished up. This is, the, this is what follows after Ishmael. Okay, that we were talking about his life. And I'll just read it really quick because I've already read it once. Now this is the genealogy, what follows after Ishmael, Abraham's son, who hangered the Egyptian, Sarah's maid servant, born Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebuchadnezzar. And, the, and then Kedar, Abel, Mizbam, I should have never started this list, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tima, Jitur, Naphish, and Kedima. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princes according to the nations. That's rather interesting, the 12 tribes of Ishmael, the son of the flesh, the son of works. And we're going to compare that as we go through the scriptures to the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob's 12 boys, and they ought to be the son of the Spirit, okay? These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. 
Okay, he died 58 years before Isaac. If you're one of those pencil pusher people, you can find that out. So Isaac's still going on. Ishmael's died. Verse 18, they dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt as you go toward Syria. Havilah means sandy. This is the Arabian Peninsula on down into Egypt. And we already discussed this last time when we were in chapter 21. These are more of the descendants of Abraham's concubines, Hagar and Keturah, and they populate the Middle East. Fundamentally, we clump them all together in a catchphrase we call Arabs, and all the Arab nations, because most of them come off the Arabian Peninsula, but again, it's so many of these different tribes, just as we looked at Sheba and Dedan and Midian, and there's many others that were named there, and they're all part of world events today, the Middle East and issues going on in the Middle East. Uh, it says, um, and he died in the presence of his brethren. It's interesting, though, because the normal word that you would use for died in the Hebrew is substituted by fell before his brethren. He may have met an uh, untimely fate, if you would. He may have gotten into a rabble. It says he lived as a wild man between his brethren, and he was always a bit hot-headed. And so, at any rate, this is the end of that. That's the whole Toledot. You just read the whole kit and caboodle, verse 12 through 18. So, we finished Toledot number 6, Terah, Abraham, Isaac. We just finished Toledot number 7, what follows after Ishmael. And I'm going to take us on a little bit of a jog. And we're probably gonna, only going to go that far this morning as far as going through chapter 25. But I want to remind you of something. And I'm taking, I'm taking liberties this morning, okay? I'm doing things a little bit different, right? We're living in days that have everybody wondering, is this that? Is that this? Pastor, brother, sister, do you think this could be the last days? Do you think this might be the end times? And, you know, there's so much you can do to study these things. Um, one of the things that just came out, and I, I, I referenced it to you, it's something I follow. And if you want to wonder what you're, what, what's going on in your pastor's head, uh, something came out uh, on YouTube just March 2nd. Um, it's a program known as Happening Now, and you could just Google Happening Now. It's a program produced by Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. And every two or three months, he'll bring in a guest speaker, and they'll talk about current events, right? I already mentioned J.D. Farag, J-D-F-A-R-A-G.org, and you can get a weekly update of what's going on in the news and find things out. Well, this is different, but this YouTube, he had a special guest on last, uh, on the second, by the name of Charlie Kirk, okay? Charlie Kirk is a fantastic spokesman for this, this younger generation. He, he has a ministry called Turning Point USA. He goes out onto college campuses, and he just shares the gospel, and he helps people understand the days that we are living in. Well, Jack Hibbs, on Happening Now, had Charlie Kirk come in, and the subject was the Great Reset. Dealing with issues that are going on in our day, 
as they have been prophesied, if you will, use the term loosely, by the World Economic Forum and what their plan is going on in the world. Very provocative. It's not Bible, but these are, these are Bible scholars, pastors, people who have studied this stuff and are kind of helping us connect the dots. Again, I just, I just share that with you because sometimes I, I feel almost like, man, I wish I could get up in the pulpit and every Sunday tell about world events and talk about the stuff that I read in the news and you could see all these things and you'd figure out, wow, wow, you know, because let's face it, that's what you do after church. <laughs> right? We're all talking about this stuff. It's like, wow, I'd love to do that from the pulpit, but we've purposed in the pulpit that we are going to preach the Word of God. Because I'll tell you this, regardless of what you read in the news, if you are not reading the good news, and if you do not know the good news that Jesus is coming soon, you're going to get left behind. You're going to get lost, okay? I'm speaking to the choir. I don't assume it will be you, but the world is looking at all this and can't figure it out. You've got to be getting into the Word of God, and that's why we purpose every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Tuesday, every Friday, every time we get together as a fellowship, we go to the Word of God. That is where the power of salvation comes from, okay? The message of the cross. It's the gospel. It's the power of Jesus Christ unto salvation. And so we want to make sure you're getting the word of God, but I always want to talk about what's going on in the world today. It's, you know, I'm torn. Well, here's some interesting things. You know, the Bible is one-third prophecy. So if you actually teach the Bible, whether you're teaching Genesis or Revelation or anything in between, you can't help but teach prophecy. We've already gone over two or three fulfilled prophecies already this morning, okay? And part of the reason we do that is because when we look at things that are coming, they're on the horizon, they're on the doorstep, they're, they're ready and ripe to go any moment now. Can we trust the Word of God that that is actually going to happen? Well, look at all the stuff He said He was going to do, and it all happened. You know, He's got a 100% batting record. He says it, it happens. And so we can look at what's going on in the world and we can take great comfort that God is on the throne, God is in control, God knows what's going on. So I'm going to take you through a little walk through the Gospel of Luke. Not the Gospel, but it's chapter 21 of the Gospel of Luke. This comes in Holy Week, if you will. It comes in that time between Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday and the seven days prior to his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. It's right in this time frame that Jesus is going to speak these words to his disciples, to his followers. And it starts out with uh, verse 5 of chapter 21 of Luke. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. Oh, isn't that the most amazing thing? Aren't we lucky to be Jews? Isn't it great to be an Israelite? Aren't you glad that we have that temple, the grandest, most splendid uh, structure for religion in the world? I mean, the whole world comes and looks at this thing. Oh, we are so lucky to have that. They're talking about their temple. They're so glad to have their temple. And Jesus said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Wow, you mean change is coming? You mean we might not get back to normal? You mean 
that the world as I know it is about to change? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Jesus? Think of the world that we live in today, this last days, the crises that are just swirling all around us. I just sat down and made a little list just on a post-it note this morning before I came up here of stuff that came to my mind of crises that we're dealing with. The Middle East conflict, right? That, that first came because I'm teaching 25 and the sons of Abraham and Ishmael and, and all these, Sheba and Dedan and Midian and all these people. The Middle East conflict that's going on today. But the Middle East conflict, it's kind of interesting, it folds into our, the Iranians and the nuclear threat today. That's a crisis that we're dealing with and, and it needs a lot of prayer, okay? Um, but all of that, but it's not just Iran. What about China? <laughs> what about Korea? And, and what about Russia? They've got nuclear weapons. Oh, speaking of Russia, isn't there something going on with them? There's war and rumors of war and an invasion of uh, Ukraine, right? And that's a crisis. It's like if you want to find the news, you've got to dig through 18 articles on Russia and Ukraine before you can find out what the weather's going to be or anything in the news. It's all about that, wars and rumors of war. And it's kind of funny how that kind of just segues right into an oil shortage, an energy crisis going on in the world, right? Which naturally just leads to the conversation of the climate and the Green New Deal and, and all of that, just that conflation of those issues leads right into inflation and an out-of-control economy and uh, the destabilizing of the dollar and cryptocurrencies, and you're like, oh, hey, which, you know, is all kind of manifest or really been brought to a point by this global pandemic, um, you know, and you, th you look back on Operation Warp Speed, do you even remember that one? And the mRNA injections that they want every single soul on the planet Earth to receive. And, and, and you move on from that, um, and then we get into the World Economic Forum, which on their webpage has published eight points of what they expect to happen in this world before 1930. That's eight years. And by that time, they want these eight points to, to happen, chief of which is the decline of the United States of America. That's their goal, the World Economic Forum. And not only that, it's going to be an attack on the church and on morality. And if you don't think there's a crisis in this world with morality, crime is rampant, drugs are way off the charts, abortion is just getting worse all the time, the whole LGBTQ, BLM, CRT, cancel culture. Do I need to go on? Is there crises in the world? Are there issues in the world? You mean not one stone's going to be left on the other? Yep, they're going to cancel it. That's the plan. Jesus told us that. We shouldn't be surprised. He goes on to say, so they asked him, saying, teacher, but when will all these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? About to take place. He said, take heed that you be not deceived. He's going to tell you the truth straight up. The truth will set you free. Beware that you be not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near. Therefore, don't go after them. 
all the false prophets, all the false messiahs, all the false saviors of the world. They have a plan. Peace, peace. It's all going to be good. Verse 9, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. If you are, shame on you. Jesus said, don't do it. When you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. So you should expect to see these things, but they're just things that are going to happen before everything is destroyed. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation. That word nation is ethnos. That's where we get ethnicities, ethnic groups, races pitted against one another. Jesus spoke of this. This is what's going to happen in the last days. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Okay, that's wars. And it's amazing to me, we even see allies that have been friends forever starting to rub up against together and, and, and having problems with each other. Nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. Pestilences. Those are diseases. There's going to be diseases, Jesus says. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons. Just a little hint here, synagogues. Jesus is speaking to his followers who are Jewish. But they will be Messianic Jews. They will be Jews who follow Jesus the Messiah. But much of what we're seeing here is a picture of what will likely happen in the first years of the seven-year tribulation. And Jesus is showing this. Remember, he's saying before these things, before these things, okay? But they're right in your horizon. They're going to deliver you up to prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out as an occasion for testimony. Why is all this happening? So I can tell people about Jesus. Everybody's wondering. It's the talk of the town. Nobody can talk about anything else. There's your door. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about what he did for me. Let me tell you what he can do for you. Let me tell you what God has said is going to happen. It'll turn out for an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. Now, I'm as guilty of this as you are. How many times do we listen to the news and we just work up all kinds of arguments about this and that? We can't wait to get with our buddies or our enemies and just lay on them our latest little thing we've meditated on and riddled out. And just for what it's worth, how many of those things have you done in the last week, let alone year, that are so yesterday's news? You were so worked up about him yesterday, and you had all your arguments all planned out. You knew exactly what you were going to say, and man, nobody wants to hear that anymore. We're on to the new thing. He says, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which, will, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Okay? It's going to come from God. You don't have to figure this out. God's going to lead and guide. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers. And are we seeing that in the world today? Relatives and friends, they will put some of you to death. Okay. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head shall be lost. 
by your patience possess your souls. Carry on, right? What is that they said during World War II, the British people, right? Um, with something and carry on, you know, pray and carry on. Just carry on. Just, just keep going. Verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Gog, Magog, Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, Libya, Sudan, Iran, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let her not in the country enter her. For these days are days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. All things that are written may be fulfilled. Again, a great deal of this deals with what's going to happen in the last seven years, the tribulation period. But they're going to be on our doorstep. They are things we're going to see developing. They're going to be forming right before God pulls the trigger, we will be raptured. We will be caught up with him, and we will not be subject to the wrath that God is pouring out on the world, but we'll see the stage set, okay? These things are written that may be fulfilled, but woe to those, and it goes on, who are pregnant in those days to the Jewish people, and it says in verse 24, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until... So this is a, a little time stamp until the gen times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The times of the Gentiles is a phrase that refers to the church age. The Gentiles, that's you, that's me, were the non-Jewish children of God. And it's during this time of the church age that ga God is gathering all the non-Jews to himself to be his bride, as we read about with uh, Isaac and Rebekah, a picture of what God is doing in this world through his Holy Spirit. This is the time of the Gentiles. It began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit was unleashed into the world at the day of Pentecost, and it will end at the rapture, and it'll be back to the days of the Jews. God's not done with the Jews yet until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, the stress of nations with perplexity in the sea and waves roaring men's heart, failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Does that scare you? It shouldn't scare you because you don't have to experience it, but it should scare anybody who doesn't know the Lord. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now, and this is where I'm going to conclude. Worship team, come on up. Now, Jesus says. It's kind of interesting. He says now. And he said that 2,000 years ago. But now is now this morning. Now is always now. And God is always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And his word to the church is now church when these things begin to happen begin when these things begin to happen look up and lift up your heads because <laughs> your redemption draws near jesus is coming amen amen and so we've got god's word solid as a rock 
full of prophecy. God told us what the end would be from the beginning. He's got a plan. He's on the throne. He's in control. And when we see all the world doing all the things that it does in rebellion to him, God's going to take care of that. And he's going to take care of you. We just want to be those who follow after him. Just closing up with a last thought. And you'll get in, we'll get into some worship here. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, God's not slack concerning his promise, but he's patient, right? He's waiting for those last souls to come into his church. But he does say the world is going to be burnt up, dissolved. And he says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, question, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct? And godliness, he's giving us marching orders. This is how we should behave in light of the times. We're looking up, we're lifting our head, we're looking at our conduct, we should be holy, we should be uh, godly in, in, in the things that we do. Looking for and hastening the coming day of God. Amen? For we, according to his promise, Look for a new heaven and a new earth. Is this what people would say about me? Oh, Mike, Pastor Mike, he's looking for Jesus. What's he doing? He's getting ready. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look forward to your soon return, that we are hastening your coming. We're sharing the good news that all Gentiles, all the world might be saved. Help us to be part of your rescue mission. Help us to seek and save that which is lost. Help us to follow in your footsteps, Jesus, from this world on into eternity. I just thank you again for the fellowship that you've given us and the spirit that you've given us, your son, Jesus Christ, and the promise of eternity with you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.